This is your fourth degree? Yeah. Oh, good night, everybody. Uh, so. We're both, like, losing it. I'm gonna... Girl, it's past my bedtime. <laughs> everybody. Um, I am really excited to be here with you guys today again. Um, it's your host Natalia and today I'm here with the lovely and delightful Joanna Blanc, uh, LeBlanc, sorry. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to talk to her today. We are going to be covering a myriad of topics uh, from what she does on the motivational side to what she does on the intellectual side. Um, she's on her fourth degree which I just found out tonight which is incredible um, but I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. Um, again, thank you so much for taking the time to interview me. Um, it means a lot to me, um, so I really appreciate it. Um, but in any event, um, just a, a little bit about myself. I, I am originally from the Republic of, of IET. I moved to the United States at the age of nine years old. Um, as most of you may already know, um, Haiti is a Francophone country, which means that we speak French as well as Haitian Creole. Um, so coming to the United States, I didn't speak English, mm -hmm. right? Um, we obviously left our home in Haiti for the to pursue um, a better life in America, right? That, let's just be real. That's the reason why yeah. most immigrants leave their homes. Mm -hmm. They don't leave their comfortable space of living to come to America to live just because, right? So we came here to pursue opportunities um, that we did not have access to in Haiti as people who did not have um, means, like financial means in particular. Um, I mean, we lived pretty pretty comfortably, but we didn't have a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. So we came to America, and I'll never forget, um, you know, when I got off the plane, I looked at the sky, I looked at the buildings, and I was just like, wow, this is different from, what, from where I mm -hmm. came from. And at that moment, I made a decision to um, be the best that I could be. Um, and, I, and I've always said to myself, if I'm going to leave my country to come to a whole new country where I don't know anybody, I might as well make the most of it. Mm -hmm. and, and average should not be an option, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're mm -hmm. going to achieve um, just average, you might as well stay in your country. Mm -hmm. um, when you come here, you need to break the glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I had that mindset very early on, and and um, and, and growing up in, in America, um, I didn't have the most, um, the most, the, I didn't have the easiest childhood. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I wouldn't wish my childhood on, on not even my worst enemy. Mm -hmm. um, but through it all, you know, I focused on one thing that was my education. So I went on to pursue um, an undergraduate degree in political science at the great Bethune Cookman University, <laughs> which is a historically black college located in Daytona Beach, Florida. And from there, um, I was granted a full scholarship, uh, well, actually it was a fellowship um, from um, Florida a and University, mm. uh, where I attended there to and earned a master's degree in public administration. And, um, and from there, I went on to law school at Indiana University, McKinney School of Law in Indiana, where I earned a doctor of jurisprudence with a focus on international law. And from there, I relocate. Well, not relocate. I moved to the nation's capital um, to work as well as to pursue my fourth degree at the George Washington 
University Law School in National Security and U.S. Um, relations law. Mm-hmm. And, and just to make it clear, I am not a professional student. So <laughs> as I'm pursuing those degrees, I had jobs. Yeah, I worked mm-hmm. several jobs simultaneously, and I worked in a professional capacity in some of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't want you guys to think that, oh, she's just been going to school and just racking up degrees yeah. after degrees. But I was also working full time. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I was working three, four jobs simultaneously, mm-hmm. because let's just be real. People like me, if you don't work, you don't eat. Yes. So, um, Ooh, so girl, yes. <laughs> so that that's the gist about my mm-hmm. background, and, and hopefully we'll get to, to discuss some more things. So I want to delve a little bit more into your story. So growing up, you said that it was it was very difficult, but you still were focusing on your education. Was it because you had that rough childhood that you were like, all I have is my education to elevate me? out of where I am, or was there something else driving you towards that? That's a good point. Um, and, and, I, and I think, um, to be frank, I think that all I had was education. Like I felt mm-hmm. like education was my only way to escape, mm-hmm. um, to have a better future. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, for some of us, we don't have a cushion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if things don't work out, you don't eat, you're homeless, right? Um, and I knew that um, essentially, like education was my passport mm-hmm. to a better and brighter future. And plus, I like nice things. I like to dress up. Mm-hmm. I like to get my eyelashes. You look done. fabulous right now. <laughs> Thank like. you. Thank you. And I knew that in order for me to have access to those things, mm-hmm. I needed an education, and um, and I needed to pursue something that I that I that I was passionate mm-hmm. about. Like some of us go to school. Uh, we go to school. We earn degrees in in fields um, that we think will earn us the most amount of money. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was more so um, choosing a field where I can be the voice of the voiceless, mm-hmm. but at the mm-hmm. same time, make enough money to support myself to live a very comfortable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so again, to answer your question, I think that education was my, my focus at the very beginning because I knew it was my only way to escape. Mm-hmm. And when you say being a voice to the voiceless, what... What was it for you or when was it for you that you felt like you were voiceless? So um, so early on, um, just give you a little, a little bit about my childhood. Um, I was abused by my mother's husband, sexually abused. Mm-hmm. And um, I told my mother about the instance and what occurred. And, um, and the response that I got was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So at mm-hmm. that point, I realized that I had to fend for myself. Mm-hmm. I had to be my own voice because nobody else was going to mm-hmm. do that for me. Because, hey, when your own mom does not stand mm-hmm. up for you, um, who can you trust? Who can you um, rely on? And, and then I realized I can't be the only person going through this. There are countless young people um, or people in general um, all over the world and even in my own community that were going through things and they just didn't know how to articulate mm-hmm. it or did not have the strength or the courage to articulate it. And I want to be their the, the, their voice. And, and it's interesting because in spite of me wanting to be the voice of the voiceless, my career interest is completely different. Yeah. So um, my career interest is in national security. So and one of the things that I do right now, I travel back and forth to Gitmo, Cuba, and I monitor legal proceedings of detainees who've been accused of war crimes, and I provide recommendations to ensure that the, the rule of law is being applied appropriately and that there is complete transparency throughout these legal proceedings. And, and, and in addition, I serve as a commissioner um, mm-hmm. where I was appointed by Mayor Bowser, where I advise her on how to um, 
how to handle issues um, impacting the African diaspora mm -hmm. through public policy. So again, um, in a sense, I guess I am the voice of some of these, um, some of um, her constituents, uh, but not in the manner that you would expect mm -hmm. as someone who's been abused. And, and I want to be the voice of those women, women who've been um, molested, women who've been like sexually um, abused, women who've been assaulted, women who've been neglected. Like I want to be the voice of these women. Mm -hmm. And but then again, my career path. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like different, you know, because I, mm -hmm. you know, again, like when it comes to the law of war, when it comes to counterterrorism, you know, intelligence, terrorism, that's kind of like my bread and butter, mm -hmm. right? But at the same token, I still want to be the voice of the voiceless. And it's kind mm -hmm. of like, how do you, how do you combine the two? Mm -hmm. How do you combine your passion with your bread and butter? I think that is such an interesting point because we are so often, and I think I've talked about this on a, a different episode about how we're so often kind of pigeonholed into one thing because if we get our degree in this one thing, it's like all of a sudden that's the only thing we can do and we don't know how to combine our two passions. Mm -hmm. And you having that passion to be the voice of the voiceless, but you were also like pursuing this completely opposite career field, did you actively search out for ways to pursue that other passion of being the voice of the voiceless or did you kind of just like fall into it one day someone asked you to do something you're like oh okay maybe i can actually combine these two things good question you're good at this <laughs> you're really good I at try, this. you know i dabble you're really good at this um so for me like i i think i kind of like fell into it mm -hmm. even though very early on i said that i realized that i didn't have anyone to be my voice mm -hmm. and and that i wanted to be the voice of other people but i didn't have the confidence as someone mm -hmm. who was broken mm -hmm. um so badly i did i i was i would just didn't have the confidence to speak for myself let alone speak for other people uh, but as time went on i realized that people were telling me that i inspired them mm -hmm. and, and it was coming from people who didn't even know my story i was like i inspire you Mm -hmm. You don't even know my story? How? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, so if only people knew my story, so I said to myself, if only people knew my story, then I could really inspire people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when I um, I decided to kind of like be open about like mm -hmm. my childhood. And then, um, and then, and then from there, it just, it just sort of happened. And I remember that when I graduated from law school, um, you know, I submitted a piece to L'Union Suite, which is kind of like the the major social media outlet um, when it comes to Haiti related mm -hmm. affairs. So I submitted a piece to them because um, they they normally like honor graduates, right? Mm. So I sent them a piece about, hey, my name is Joanna. I graduated with this degree, and here are some struggles that I went through. But in spite of, I was able to make ABC happen, right? So they posted the story and it went viral. And I mm. think to this date. It's like one of their most shared stories. It's like the most shared story on their page. Mm -hmm. And after that story came out and it became viral, and I got so many feedback. And at the time, I was living in I was living in Africa at the time. <laughs> of course, when, you were because when, when the story went viral, <laughs> so people were asking me, "Can you come speak at this event, that event?" I'm like, mm -hmm. "I'm sorry, I'm in Africa right now. I'm not in the country." Um, and, and and then from there, I said, "You know what? I think I was called to do this." Mm -hmm. And and but in spite of knowing without a shadow of a doubt that I'm supposed to do this kind of work, some days it just feels like, oh, because like, you really don't have to do this. 
Like, yeah. You really don't have to. So why do you even put yourself out there to be so vulnerable mm -hmm. for someone to just Google your name and just see, oh, you were abused? Because I, I I'm not looking for pity, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm okay. Life is good, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for pity. I just share it in hope that it would inspire another woman or another guy. And they could say, you know, if she was able to, um, in spite of it all, mm -hmm. um, manage to get through life, mm -hmm. maybe I can too. And that's the whole premise behind me sharing my story. Mm -hmm. and, and, and also at the same time, I don't want people to look at me as just someone who was just, oh, this lady, she was abused and now she speaks about it. No, mm -hmm. I want you to see me as an intellect first because I mm -hmm. do value education, which mm -hmm. is why I've spent so much money, you know, I've invested yes. a whole lot in my education because I, I I honor and I cherish it and I value mm. it. So I want people to look at me as an intellectual first who mm. happens to have a story that mm. she uses as a way to inspire other people mm. all over the world, regardless of your race, gender, um, background, or socioeconomic status. So I just have a quick question. What led you to live in Africa? Because you just swept past that. And what in what country did you live in? So I've lived throughout the continent of Africa, and I've okay. also lived in Southeast Asia. Okay. So I've lived at the time where was I living? I think I was living in either Malawi or Swaziland. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But but generally speaking, I so I've lived in South Africa, and in particular in Cape Town, where I was mm -hmm. based at the University of Cape Town, and I was mm -hmm. doing research. I was a, a fellow there. I was actually working on on child marriage issues, mm -hmm. which again is near and dear to my heart yeah. um, because of my past. So it was it was an incredible experience. I learned I learned a whole lot about issues that that, that I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. um, so South Africa, Ghana. Um, the Kingdom of Iswatini, at the time it was called the Kingdom of Swaziland. Oh, oh did they change their name? Yes. I didn't know yes. that. Okay, teach me Yeah, so, so the king mm -hmm. recently changed the name, um, and his rationale behind it is, is that um, the former name was the name that was given to the country by their colonial master, mm -hmm. and they wanted to kind of like get rid of that and have their mm -hmm. own, their because with your name comes with, comes with a sense of pride, right? Yes. So if you get to name your country, you have more pride in mm -hmm. it. So they changed it to... Iswatini, and also there's this idea that there's there's rumors, you know, people are saying that mm -hmm. like the reason why the king changed is because people used to get Swaziland mixed up with Switzerland. Really? <laughs> yes. No, and no. Did they though? <laughs> I, I think so. I think so too because actually, when I was in law school, I wanted to. I was doing a fundraising um, to raise money for um, this organization called Women in Law mm -hmm. in Southern Africa. Um, which is located in Swaziland. Mm -hmm. And I got with my classmates and I said, hey, we're raising money. This is the organization we're going to raise money mm -hmm. for. And they said, um, why are we raising money for an organization in Switzerland? I said, no, 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 it's not Switzerland. It's Swaziland. They're like, no, it's Switzerland. I said, trust <laughs> me, I know what I'm talking about. I've lived there. It's Swaziland. Mm -hmm. So we argued until, you know, finally. You pulled up a map. A map. And they're like, oh, we didn't know. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so Swaziland. South Africa, Ghana, um, and also Malawi. And I've mm -hmm. traveled to a number of, I think I've mm -hmm. been to at least um, 15 countries in Africa by now. And I also used to live in um, Chiang Mai, Thailand. Oh my God. So, yeah, right? I, I want to go. Uh. It's, it's a beautiful place, but mm -hmm. you will get sunburned. <laughs> I didn't think, like, well, excuse me for my ignorance, but I didn't think black people could get sunburned until we I went to. Can. Yes, we can. Yes, Listen, I, I don't know where that, like, lie started. <laughs> Everybody needs sunscreen. 
Listen, skin cancer is not racist. It goes for everybody. <laughs> it is not, and it was there that I learned. You know, and, and all of us are ignorant to something, right? It was, mm-hmm. but my, but I learned. I learned my lesson. Though. And like, traveling to all those countries, were you doing stuff for law school, or were you just researching? What What was the some, mission behind that? Some of them were um, were fellowships during law school, mm-hmm. and I also did a post a post grad fellowship abroad as well. That is just, you're living my dream. I would love to be able to travel to that many countries and I, just do what I love. Well, I'm an internationalist, mm-hmm. um, self-proclaimed internationalist. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I actually get excited mm-hmm. um, when I'm in different countries. Like, like for me, you can just drop me off in like a random country mm-hmm. and just let me figure it out from there. To me, that makes me happy. I don't need to speak the language. I don't need to understand the culture. When I get there, I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And 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 I like and I prefer to be alone as well because Mm -hmm. I I feel like when you travel alone, right, it forces you to interact with individuals Mm -hmm. that you otherwise would not interact with Mm -hmm. because because now you have nobody to rely on but some strangers. Mm -hmm. So it forces you to build relationships, to to, um, develop trust. Um, and things of that nature, and, and, and develop friendship that will last a very uh, that will last a lifetime in some cases. Did you feel like when you started sharing your story more that you were really starting to build more relationships? Did you feel like you were also getting a second sense of healing from what you experienced in your childhood? I I think so. I I think every time that I speak about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's like part of the healing process, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think that like child abuse and child neglect um, are things that you can fully like heal from. Mm-hmm. I think that it stays with you for a lifetime. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I'm right now I'm in therapy, and I, I think I'll be in therapy for a very long time, mm-hmm. and I'm not a, a ashamed to say it. Nor should you. Uh, Everybody needs therapy. Yeah. I, I will die on that hill. Yeah. yeah. So so I but but I feel like every time that I share my story with mm-hmm. with the world, right? Because in the day of social media. When you share a story, you don't just share it with one person. You share mm-hmm. it with the world, in mm-hmm. essence, right? Um, it's kind of a way for me to to go through that healing process, mm-hmm. and, um, and and it also allows me to look at it from a different perspective as mm-hmm. well, just to kind of like analyze it from um, from a whole different perspective every mm-hmm. time that I share it, which is which is interesting. Did you feel like what I guess? I guess more so, what were you most nervous about, like, that first time that you hit post, when you were like, okay, like, I see people are seeming inspired by me, what if I, like, shared, like, my full story, and I can connect with all these women or men or whatever, and, but what was the thing that you were most scared about when you finally did that? Well, the thing with me is that, like, so I've been sharing my story since I was in high school. It's mm-hmm. just, like, very few people knew about it. Mm-hmm. But I've been sharing my story for a long time. But in terms of, like, uh, a greater scale, mm-hmm. I will say um, it was actually, no, no, this is, yeah, this is interesting for me to say. So when I got the fellowship mm-hmm. um, to do my master's mm-hmm. at Florida a and University, um, I was the very first student to have received that fellowship it was mm-hmm. called the James H Emmons fellowship and um, and I you know it was it, and I got the fellowship as a result of um, it, it was they have this kind of contract with like Bethune Cookman mm-hmm. where like one deserving student will get the mm-hmm. fellowship and I happened to get it praise mm-hmm. the Lord <laughs> <laughs> so I got the fellowship so everyone was just curious about who's this girl mm-hmm. who got this fellowship and the fellowship was named after the president of the of the university mm-hmm. so I got a phone call from um, the 
the local newspaper, the Tallahassee mm-hmm. Democrat. And they said they wanted to interview me. Mm-hmm. So at the time I was like 22 years old. Mm-hmm. I said, sure, it should be fun. <laughs> and um, and then they started asking me questions about, you know, my academic journey to, you know, mm-hmm. getting where I am at the time. And they also said, how do your parents feel about this? Mm-hmm. And that's when I bust out in tears and I started crying. And that's and that was the very first time when I had where that I had shared my story with a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. And um, and I cried, and I cried, mm-hmm. and I cried some more. <laughs> um, so then the interview ended. <laughs> and um, and the, the, the interviewer at the time said, you know, um, of course I believe you, but as a journalist, mm-hmm. I have to make sure that like I get the other side of the story as well. Mm-hmm. So can I get your mom's information? So I mm-hmm. gave her mom's information, she called her, and um, and still deemed that the story was credible, so she went ahead and published it. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, so I'm thinking like it's published like in the back of the newspaper, right? Yeah, not. <laughs> so the next day, I'm on my way to class, and I happened to stop at the gas station, and my face was on the cover of the Tallahassee Democrat. You know, homeless, sexually abused student. I was just like, put all your tea out there, all my business out there, mm-hmm. and. And I had class that evening, and it's a Tallahassee Democrat. Everybody reads the newspaper because at that at that time, it wasn't you know social media was not what it yeah. is today. Everybody was reading the Tallahassee Democrat. It wasn't mm-hmm. the it wasn't a desk of every professor, you know, every uh, most of my classmates. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to class, and I was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how are these people gonna look at me? Mm-hmm. Like, are they gonna judge me? You know, and some of them reached out to me. They said, "Thank you so much for sharing your story. You've inspired me." But I was very nervous the very first time, mm-hmm. and because one, again, I didn't want people to judge me, mm-hmm. and two, most importantly, I never want people to feel sorry for me, mm-hmm. because I want to earn everything that I have not out of pity but out of hard work, and I didn't mm-hmm. want people to give me anything because oh she had this really horrible childhood. I must help her. No, no, I, I don't want pity. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I want I want to earn things based on merit, based on my mm-hmm. hard work. Do you feel like anyone has ever done that to you, though? They they pity you, and so it's like, oh, we're going to give her this thing. Because I feel like sometimes as, like, a black woman that, like, there's this idea or I worry about the perception that, like, oh, she's black and she's first generation, so that's why she got to this school or that's why she got this scholarship or, you know, that's why X, Y, and Z, because I feel like sometimes that's so put out there, in mm-hmm. social media, so like I worry about, I don't know, that perception. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of how you were feeling, or did you ever feel there was a particular instance when that came about? You know, I've, as it pertains to my life story, my journey, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And, um, and I, but I would not want to have something, have access to something simply because you feel sorry for me. Because mm-hmm. I'm not sharing my story because I, I want pity. I'm sharing my story as a way to inspire people. Mm-hmm. I'm a survivor. I'm a strong woman. I'm in- intelligent. Mm-hmm. I have so many great qualities about myself that people can use to mm-hmm. further their own agenda, mm-hmm. whether it be in the place of employment mm-hmm. or a- as a speaker at, at their function. So I'm not looking for pity, and I would never want anyone to give me anything because of pity. I want to earn everything that I have. And I definitely think you have. I mean, you're on your fourth degree. Like, I don't think <laughs> you don't you don't get there without any type of hard work. Um, but just to back up a little bit, you said that the that interviewer did contact your mother yes. and she did confirm. Mm-hmm. So how was that for you? Was it I, ju- I just mean, like, how was that? Because you said the initially when you told her she didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. 
So what was that like? All of a sudden, her like affirming that this happened, but still not doing anything about it. Well, I think with my mom, it's not that she did not believe me. It's just mm-hmm. that she didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, um, well, at least because because he was just like, well, at least he didn't rape you, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Um, so so it, she didn't do anything different than mm-hmm. what than what I was expecting than what she had done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she has always known um, the mm-hmm. allegations to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just whether or not she stood for me and mm-hmm. she did not. She chose his side mm-hmm. and it is what it is. And and just looking back I, I think that my mother as a human being mm-hmm. she's a she's a great person by the way. Um, mm-hmm. interesting. She's like an amazing human being. But I, I just think that my mother has a lot of issues that she too dealt with as a child mm-hmm. that she obviously never talks about Mm -hmm. but I can feel it and I feel Mm -hmm. like she herself has to go through her own own healing Mm -hmm. and to be frank with you I think she did the best that she could at the time Mm -hmm. as a mother Mm -hmm. and so you see the role that intergenerational trauma Mm -hmm. can have an effect Mm -hmm. on kids and Mm -hmm. family members and are you an only child I'm not the only child Mm -hmm. I am the oldest Mm -hmm. Um, I have two sisters and one brother Mm-hmm. And did you see that type of inter, intergenerational trauma trickle down to them? Or was did you feel like you kind of kept all of that? I think I like the abuse part, obviously, um, because the, uh, the person who did it was, um, he's dead now, but um, he's, they're about, he is my sibling's biological father. Mm-hmm. Um, and not my biological father, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, so... Um, I, th- I think they kind of like like they they suffered to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but not in the way that I did. They weren't mm-hmm. abused. Um, to them, their father was like their hero. Yeah. To me, he was a monster. Mm-hmm. So um, so that also created a disconnect. Like when he mm-hmm. died, they mourned for months. And when mm-hmm. he died, it was kind of like to me, okay. <laughs> You're like it's Tuesday. Okay, you know what I mean. Like to me, yeah. it's like I, I I didn't care that he died. I just didn't care mm-hmm. um, at all. So um, so I think that um, yeah. So that's yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's very complicated. No, I mean to the least, all emotions would be yeah. in our. All families are complicated. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I love my family. We're crazy. I love my family. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, we're a little touch and go there. Yeah. Um. So now, as being, you kind of feel like a voice to the voiceless. Um. How do you, how do you define yourself as an advocate? You know, is it is it pounding the pavement? Is it you know, lifting up another woman when you see that she's down. Is it the little things, or do you think it's like a grand scale? Like, I'm going to talk at all these things, and I'm going to do my other work on the side. Like, I don't think it has to be that grand thing. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're speaking at every major conference, you're traveling mm-hmm. the world. Um, you can do that, too, but I think most importantly is how do you interact with people on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis? How do you interact with your neighbor? Mm-hmm. How do you interact with the... With the with the clerk at your at your school, for example, mm-hmm. uh, or better, with the clerk at the grocery store, with mm-hmm. the little lady who serves as, as the door greeter. How do mm-hmm. you interact with her? It's those mm-hmm. it's those small day to day interactions that we have um, that I feel um, you can also make an impact. You mm-hmm. can also use your gifts and talents um, mm-hmm. to to make the world a better place, to uplift women in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, how, yeah, how do you deal with a woman when you see that you know she needs help? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you in, how's that mm-hmm. interaction you know so you you don't have to be Oprah it would be great to be Oprah right and to have <laughs> Oprah's Oprah, money yeah. right? who doesn't want to be Oprah you know <laughs> but but I think 
each and every one of us has a duty mm-hmm. um, and we can uplift and empower other women mm-hmm. just by our day-to-day interactions mm-hmm. good morning good afternoon how was your day girl you rocking that dress mm-hmm. girl you got a pretty smile <laughs> girl your skin is on fleek that melanin is popping you mm-hmm. know what I mean things something things that small will will make an impact mm-hmm. in the lives of women um, in your own community you don't have to go to Africa to Southeast Asia to mm-hmm. empower women what mm-hmm. about the women in your own community what about the mm-hmm. women in your family like mm-hmm. how do you treat them you know so it doesn't have to be big scale it could be something small small yeah um and so what is the work because i know you've done some work with within your haitian community right so what does that work look like so um earlier this year i was very honored and privileged to have been um presented presented with an award um by the association of haitian professionals Mm -hmm. the award is titled um it's like a lifetime achievement Mm -hmm. Award, Lifetime Achievement Award, Driving Change and in, in Innovation mm-hmm. um, for some of the work that I've done in the Haitian community and, and, and other places. Um, and so before, I and, I and I was very, again, very privileged and honored to have received such award at, you know, such early stage of mm-hmm. my career and because it, I, I did not expect to have mm-hmm. received such award. But, um, but before I, I moved here to D.C., I worked a lot with the Haitian community back mm-hmm. in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And what, and do I, they have a large Asian? Interesting, they do. Yeah, I would have never guessed. Oh, okay. they do, yeah, and I serve as a chairwoman of the advisory board mm-hmm. um, for the Haitian Association of um, for the Haitian Association of Indiana. Yes, okay. Because I get the two confused mm-hmm. the one in Indiana and the one here in DC, mm-hmm. so I have to make sure I I say it properly. But in any event, so I served as a chairwoman um, for that organization mm-hmm. where I pretty much provide advice to mm-hmm. the leadership team on how to um, address some of the social issues impacting um, the Haitian community. So one of the things that I specifically specifically did as a board member is I I I reached out to various um, organizations. Um, throughout Indiana and have them travel to a, a city called Washington, Indiana, mm. where there's a huge population of Haitians. Um, and most of the Haitians living there do not speak English. I will mm-hmm. say about 98% of them do not speak English. Really? Yeah, and they work at, they work at Purdue Farms mm-hmm. mainly, and they also work at the Toyota plant. Mm. And, um, and because of the language barrier, um, and obviously because of their socioeconomic status, they were faced with all sorts of um, issues, in particular, um, you know, labor labor law violations mm-hmm. and um, and just you know things with like you know renting apartment, mm-hmm. um, just anything you could think of like mm-hmm. someone from a disadvantaged community could, would deal with. They were dealing with them. Mm-hmm. So um, what I did was I got along with other members of the organization. I got a number of the organizations, you know, whether it be the Indiana Indiana Civil Rights Commission, to the Indiana Legal Services, um, just various organizations, and we brought them to them directly mm-hmm. so that they could know what services are available to them in the event that they have certain issues. And um, and as a result of this event that we had, um, some of them brought forth like certain claims um, mm-hmm. of. Not being paid on time, or not being paid for overtime, things of that nature, and some of them, you know, 
some of the various organizations were able to launch investigations. Mm -hmm. And obviously, whenever you're dealing with that population, a lot of people are afraid to come forward. Yeah. So they will tell me stuff, and I will tell them, well, you have to report it, because mm -hmm. I can't report it for you. And, and, and they did not. But, um, but, but yeah, but I worked with them very closely. In fact, um, folks would get pulled over by the police, mm -hmm. and they will call me so I can speak for them, because, again, mm -hmm. the, the, the language, language barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, fast forward, now living in D.C., um, I, along with a good friend of mine, Dr. Estelle, who is Estelle Jean, who is a cardiologist mm -hmm. here in, in D.C., um, we started a, a, a mentoring program for Haitian students um, between the ages of 18 um, to 25. So the name of it, the official name of it is Haitian Mentorship Network. Okay. And, and the premise behind that event is to connect Haitian students between the ages of 18 to 25 with other um, Haitian professionals in mm. the DMV area or just all over the world. Oh, right? wow. For mentorship. Okay, I'm definitely putting a link to that in the show notes. That's yeah, awesome. So, so for me, as she and I reflect on our mm -hmm. journeys to where we are today, she's a very su successful woman, and myself, I'm still building my career as a young mm -hmm. professional, um, but for the help of amazing mentors, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. um, I've had, my mentors have mainly been African Americans, mm -hmm. and I've never had a Haitian mentor. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and, and again, my mentors have been amazing, but when I came to DC, what I realized is that there are so many well-to-do Haitians living right here. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be nice to have a Haitian mentor, mm -hmm. someone who understands my language, my culture? Um, that would be dope, right? So um, then I started asking around, you know, my friends and you know some people that I, other folks that I knew, I will say, hey, have you ever had a Haitian mentor? They're like, no, I'm like, no, They're like, no. So that's when um, Estelle and I, um, develop this this program so that we can make that connection mm -hmm. um, and then we had our very, very first luncheon at the um, embassy of the Republic of, of Haiti where um, the um, the embassy served as the sole sponsor of the event the ambassador um, delivered um, uh, you know some remarks and the event was well attended in fact we had about 18 students who flew in from Florida to attend the event oh wow yeah and our panelist was made up of Haitian doctors, lawyers, mm -hmm. um, you know, lobbyists, pharmacists, um, CPAs, and, and you name it. So, I think that's so incredible because it really is so important, I feel like, to make sure that you see yourself represented in those positions because I think so often as, like, a Jamaican-American, it's like I don't see a lot of representation of of me in these in these positions even though trust me jamaicans are everywhere you know they're there. <laughs> they're there but it's like how do we how do we kind of pull them out and make sure that they're mentoring one another mm -hmm. how do we make sure that we're jamaica's known for more than like bob marley like you know what i mean those like those little things so it's so incredible that you're you're bringing that together mm -hmm. and is is that gonna be like a is it just like a one-time conference thing is that gonna be like we're gonna set you up with the mentor and then you guys talk on your own kind of thing so um, the so the, the the purpose of the brunch is going to be an annual brunch. Mm -hmm. um, it is to create that space for um, for the conversation around okay. mentorship to be had and for the connections to be made. Mm. Now what we do have is we have a database base mm -hmm. where mentors, um, potential mentors, and potential mentees sign up. They provide mm -hmm. us with their information, career interests, or their their, their current careers, and then. Um, and then what we do is, but we have the mentees mm -hmm. to go back to like the mentor sheet mm -hmm. and they have to reach out to the yeah. mentor on their own. We don't do the connection because mm -hmm. um, in this day and age, we want to show, we want, we want our young people um, 
you know, because they're amazing. They're just very, very talented. But we want them to, you know, go out there, put themselves out there, mm-hmm. go introduce yourself to someone new, go mm-hmm. do some research about someone, then reach out to them and have a conference with them, have a mm-hmm. conference call rather, and see if this will be a, a good match. I don't want to do the matching for you. I want you to do it on your own mm-hmm. because that's how it works in this life. You got to do things on your own. Yeah, taking that initiative. Uh, but what we're doing is we're providing them access with those individuals. Mm-hmm. So I'm pulling folks from my network and obviously other people are sharing the information mm-hmm. with their friends. And obviously, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jean, she's um, pulling folks from her network. Um, and, and right now, we have a network of over, what, over 350 individuals oh, wow. who have signed up. We have mm-hmm. a group meet uh, where it's nothing but Haitian students and mm-hmm. Haitian professionals who are having conversations every day on group me. Mm-hmm. So That's so awesome. I just, I love that. I love that idea of bringing mentorship because... Mm-hmm. So often I feel like, um, especially sometimes women, like don't get that opportunity to get mm-hmm. that mentor in that high place mm-hmm. that can kind of help take you where you need to mm-hmm. go or fi- figure out where we can get those resources to get those mentors. So mm-hmm. it's incredible that like you're doing that and for your community and trying to bring them from other communities because not just like the D.C., but like students flying in from Florida. Now, did you guys help sponsor that or, or was it like they kind of had to find their own way? You know, so this year's event um, was pretty much, everything was pretty much, you know, paid for by Estelle and I, and obviously Mm -hmm. the embassy was very um, gracious Mm -hmm. to have um, paid for a portion of of the fees, but we weren't able to, I think I sponsored one one student myself, Mm -hmm. but we weren't really able to sponsor students like we would have liked to, Mm -hmm. but hopefully in the future um, we will, because you know, it's it's a you know this is a new concept yeah. that we just created, and we have to have some things. Um, we have to have a strong foundation, and we're putting some things in in place. But but most importantly, we wanted to make sure that we create that space for the conversation um, around mentorship to be had. Mm-hmm. Because I personally know that, but for mentor amazing mentors in my life, I wouldn't be where I am because it, I didn't get my guidance from mm-hmm. home. My guidance came from obviously the grace of God and, mm-hmm. and, and then um, amazing women, African-American women mm-hmm. that God placed in my life. Um, for example, um, Dr. Shanta Haywood, um, who is the former Dean of Graduate Studies at Florida and mm-hmm. University, um, she's one of my mentors. and. Um, it was when I met her that, that I realized that a black woman can be beautiful and can be intelligent mm-hmm. and yet don't really have to like be like don't really have to dress revealing. Yeah. So I learned how to dress as like a professional woman to where like when I walk in a room today and you, you can say, Oh, she looks really nice. She looks looks well put together. But it yeah. wasn't it wasn't always like that. Mm-hmm. It was by meeting her that I had that I kind of like picked up some tips and 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 the more I was around her the more yeah. that I was changing like my wardrobe mm-hmm. started to change and um, my taste changed around mm-hmm. you know the kind of clothes that I, I would wear um just by being being around her and and she just showed me you know how a, a professional woman uh, you know should mm-hmm. um carry herself and mm-hmm. you know and things like that so again um you know so mentorship is it's critical because for is. me I wouldn't yeah. be here without them that's incredible. What is the maybe the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a mentor as you're, you know, building your career? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good <laughs> one. Um, you know, it's interesting. The best piece of advice that I got from a, I wouldn't call this person a mentor, mm-hmm. but it was a, one of my former professors, mm-hmm. and um, here at GW Law School, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I 
you know, I went to his office and I just wanted to pick his brain. Mm-hmm. I knew that he had done a lot of work internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I had taken his course, obviously, for a semester long. Mm-hmm. And by then, he kind of had a feel for, like, my personality and what kind of mm-hmm. person I was. So um, I went to his office, and, and I was just picking his brain because this guy is, like, super intelligent. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I would love to, to do some of the stuff that you mm-hmm. have done. And, and I remember he told me, he said, you know, follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Do what makes you happy. Um, and he said those exact words. He said, move to the beat of your own drums. Something <laughs> that I always say, I always say anyway. Yeah. And so when he, and this is like a much older guy. This guy has, thick, I'm not going to say his age. He's like much, much older. <laughs> and for him to have used that same exact language yeah. that I had been using for years, move to the beat of your own drums, was confirmation that I was on the right path. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the best advice that I've gotten. So was there any other moments that you felt like, okay, this is confirmation that I'm on the right path besides those words? Um, one thing I've noticed is that the universe is always talking to us. Mm-hmm. Always talking to us. And I use universe and God interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you listen mm-hmm. um, and if you're paying attention, you mm-hmm. would know. You know, and, and sometimes... You know that you are on the right path because even when it seems life, even when it seems like life is so chaotic, you're not where you want to be at the moment, mm-hmm. but yet you're at peace mm-hmm. in the midst of the chaos, right? Mm-hmm. In the in, in moments of unknown, right? In moments where you feel uncertain about life, you're still at peace with your decision. You're still at peace about the about the road that you're taking. Mm-hmm. So so that's how you know you are on the right path. Yeah, that peace. That peace. Yes. I like that. I like I like I don't want people to disrupt my peace. I want to keep my peace. I think that's important. I think in this day and age and everything that's going on, I think it's it's easy to let things disrupt your peace, but I think it's equally as hard to find peace Mm -hmm. and just like find peace in the midst of all of that chaos and like what does your peace may look different Mm -hmm. than somebody else's peace Mm -hmm. and I think for me I don't know if this has happened to you sometimes I'm like oh if my peace doesn't look like that am I really at peace Mm -hmm. without remembering that my peace can look different Mm -hmm. and I think that's why it's important to know the end goal Mm -hmm. because we all have an end goal um, cause I, and, and I feel as though everything that we're doing at, right at this moment, every single experience, every single interaction, every single uh, disappointment, right? Every single rejection, they are all preparing us for something much greater than us, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so, I, so I don't believe in failure, per mm-hmm. se. Um, but what... I, but because I think that even in the midst of what society calls failure, right, mm-hmm. there is always something to be learned from that experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and what you said earlier was, 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 was critical because you said, you know, my peace may not look the same as someone else's peace. Mm-hmm. You know? um, because in the age of social media, we find ourselves, you know, comparing ourselves with other people, right? Um, mm-hmm. We see the glitz and the glamour. We mm-hmm. see people post the cutest selfies ever. Everybody's, everyone's lives, everybody's life looked perfect on social media, mm-hmm. right? 
everybody looks just good. Like, just life is great. <laughs> uh, it's like, gosh, anybody going through anything? Right, yeah, <laughs> tell me your struggles, <laughs> like, what, what do you struggle with? <laughs> gosh, like, really? Um, and that's why you should never, you know, compare your journey with someone else's journey. Because mm-hmm. you don't know their journey. Mm-hmm. Unless they have given you front row access to their life, mm-hmm. you don't know their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's okay. We all have our own very unique journeys. Uh, we have our own very unique paths, right? Um, there are some of us who, you know, we graduate from undergrad today. We get our dream job, right? And we mm-hmm. start working. We start making money. We get, we get the dream, right? We get the husband, right? We get the kids. Uh, we get the, that partner, rather. Um, you, you have the kids, you know. You get the two car garage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you get to, you know, the, the, the house with the with the picket fence. You get all that, right? Mm-hmm. Life is great, right? And there are some of us you finish undergrad. And for five years, you could not even find a job in your field, right? Yeah. Um, so that, does that mean you're, you're a failure? Not necessarily, you know, um, because we all have our own journeys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things happen in different times for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe in the power of timing. Mm-hmm. Timing is just as important as preparing yourself educationally. Mm-hmm. If the time is not right, I don't care how much you push and you fight, Mm-hmm. It just would not happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the timing is different from, from, for all of us, mm-hmm. right? So, so I, w- I would encourage folks who may be listening, just don't don't compare your life to someone else's, mm-hmm. especially to someone else's life that you see on social media, because <laughs> you just don't know. Yeah, you definitely don't know. You don't know. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk at least a little bit from your personal experience with as a survivor, but also your experience as a lawyer. Um, how did you feel with the Kavanaugh hearings? I just want to have another perspective on on what that was like for you as being in this dual world of survivor and lawyer. Okay, so right now I'm not practicing. Mm-hmm. I work more in policy, policy. work, mm-hmm. but but I, I I do get what you're saying as someone who understands the law, how it works, mm-hmm. right? Especially the highest court, which is the yeah. Supreme Court, right? Because um, once you're appointed to the Supreme Court um, and you're confirmed by the Senate. You know, you're there for life, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we hold um, those individuals um, at a much higher standard mm-hmm. than we will hold um, the day-to-day guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the day-to-day person in our society. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on this topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have this person who, um, Dr. Ford, mm-hmm. um, accused um, Kavanaugh of sexual assault while I, I want to believe that um, every survivor should be believed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if it happened 30 years ago, mm-hmm. 100 years ago, two years ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's like, it's, it's been a, it's like a very tough topic for me yeah. to kind of like draw the, the line, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're dealing with a situation where there's no evidence, mm-hmm. right? Um, and in the court of law, you, you can't just accuse someone of doing something, mm-hmm. you have to have evidence, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's it's kind of hard, but I, but I do believe that members of our legal community in general, and in particular, those um, on the Supreme Court mm-hmm. should be held to a much higher standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that I believe to be true, mm-hmm. right? But generally speaking, you know, Assuming that those facts are indeed true, the mm-hmm. allegations are true, um, it's just assuming, right? Um, it sends a very bad 
um, a negative message mm -hmm. to um, survivors and, mm -hmm. and victims of, of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. um, it, it again tells you that, you know, you don't matter. Your mm -hmm. story doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, and that you would not be heard no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you're going up against someone who's so much more powerful than you are mm -hmm. in the eyes of society, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it sent a very negative message to little girls, right? Mm -hmm. Who may be at home, who probably mm -hmm. got abused two days ago, mm -hmm. and they're watching this on TV. Here's this mm -hmm. woman who is a PhD accusing um, Supreme Court nominee at the time mm -hmm. of this of this act, mm -hmm. yet he still gets confirmed. Mm -hmm. What does that say to me as someone who society doesn't even know me, right? Mm -hmm. um, I may be poor or I may be middle class. I may be mm -hmm. um, upper upper middle class or I may be of um, I may be affluent. So what but what what does that mean to me? You know, mm -hmm. how do how is it that a, a survivor process this kind of information? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it can be. It can be seen in a, in, not can be seen, I think it's it's not a good message, mm -hmm. assuming that those allegations are, are mm -hmm. to be true. Uh, but at the same token, though, we have to um, look at the facts, right, mm -hmm. and look at the evidence. Um, so it's, it's a hard one for me, because if, if you were prosecuting this in court, right, mm -hmm. outside of the court of public opinion, mm -hmm. um, how would you would, would you would you actually win mm -hmm. the case would you mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I think that as people um, we kind of sometimes have to remove our emotions you mm -hmm. know because as, as a victim right as someone who is I will call myself a survivor um, it is much easier for me to say yeah you know it's a horrible guy he should not mm -hmm. be confirmed you know um, because of these allegations mm -hmm. but I have to kind of remove my emotions from it mm -hmm. and look at the facts and look at the circumstances and obviously as members of the public we don't have all the facts yeah there's information that um the government has that we're not they're not that are not accessible to us as members of the public right um and so we also have to keep that in mind so can you truly make an assessment can you make mm -hmm. an assessment just based on the testimony um is a testimony sufficient um is a mere allegation sufficient to kind of I would say ruin someone's life but um, but to find them guilty of a of a crime you know um, there's due process there's a process that we go through um, in, our, in our country but again at the same token I do believe that members of the Supreme Court like Supreme Court justices and, and mm -hmm. members of the legal community we do have a much higher standard mm -hmm. um, in terms of how we live our lives that we have to to live by mm -hmm. um and um and yeah so that's my position on it <laughs> conflicted <a> question. <laughs> very, very conflicted mm -hmm. very conflicted because I, I have to look at the rule of law mm -hmm. right and then mm -hmm. i have to look at and and it's hard you know what the rule of law says mm -hmm. you know you know what in in, in you know if if this was to be litigated in, in court mm -hmm. you know what would be required right mm -hmm. um but but and you don't even have all the facts, mm -hmm. right? So, and then you have your emotions involved. And then mm -hmm. you also have um, the standard that must be held mm -hmm. um, for, a, uh, for a, a potential, for a Supreme Court nominee, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's very, it's very, I'm very conflicted on that topic. And me and my friends, we, we had a very, we had an in-depth discussion about it. 
around the time it happened and, mm. and, and, and my position was quite different from what they're expecting so I think for me when I see it it's regard like I think sexual assault cases are hard to prosecute as is yes, regardless like if it happened two days ago and mm-hmm. you came in with evidence versus it happening 20 years ago and you come back and I think and I think that is I think that is what's so hard in general because it's like we it could have happened yesterday but we still don't have evidence mm-hmm. and it's like just because we don't have evidence for me it's like doesn't mean it's not mm-hmm. true absolutely and I think that's if that's if I'm getting to kind of what your mm-hmm. thoughts are, it's like your heart is like, okay, this, but like we also don't have evidence, but that does not necessarily make it not true. Absolutely. It doesn't make it yeah. not true either. And, and and also just because someone did not report it immediately yeah. does not make it not true either. Just because they would it 30 years later mm-hmm. uh, does not make it not true. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like for, ex- for example, and with children, you have the child abuse um, accommodation syndrome. Mm-hmm where um, children don't report, um, mm-hmm. you know, abuse, like, immediately they report it, you know, maybe a year later, two years later, mm-hmm. sometimes way, you know, even later, later mm-hmm. on. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a known, it's a, it's a legit syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, um, you know, the, the notion of, um, you know, whether or not, you know, Dr. Ford, you know, her waiting, you know, years later, 20 years later to um, bring up these um, these allegations does not mean that it's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is we don't know, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, so it's interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> no, I just want your perspective as like a yeah. survivor and where yeah. you're coming from. Um, so this leads me to my last question that I ask all my guests. Um, how do you define being a woman or womanhood? That's a good question. <laughs> How am I supposed to answer this on the spot? I do this. I just, everybody, I love asking it on the spot because then you get that real, like, gut, like, reaction, what's on their heart, you know. I feel like I should have wrote something, should have written something <laughs> to be a little bit more articulate with my response. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> interesting. How do I define womanhood? So, like, I, and I like the name of your... Your, your podcast, by the way, it's not mm. not just a pretty face. More than a pretty. More face. than a pretty face. Oh no, no, you're good. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> More than a pretty face. Okay. <laughs> and I say this to say, um, you know, being a woman is more than just a pretty face, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's about substance. Mm-hmm. It's about kindness. Kindness. Mm-hmm. It's about intellect. It's about community service. Mm-hmm. It's about elegance. Um, so I think those. I think that those things define. Um, womanhood, mm-hmm. not just being, you know, you know, looking pretty, but you are a woman of substance. Mm-hmm. You contribute to society. You're making an impact every day that you're waking up, um, based on how you interact with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're kind. You're understanding. You're compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, you are in tuned with um, yourself as a woman. Mm-hmm. You understand who you are. You understand that, in spite of what society may deem to be my flaws. Mm-hmm. I'm still great. I'm still mm-hmm. amazing. I can still conquer the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and in addition to that, you know, um, being a woman means that, you know, um, you know, you encourage other people. You uplift um, mm-hmm. others, you know, whether it be your next door neighbor, whether it be um, the, the cashier at, at mm-hmm. your local Walmart, right, at your um, local Safeway, right? Um, you know, when you go to these, when you enter these spaces, um, 
you know, your energy um, mm. is something that is so positive that it makes people feel like they want to get closer to you. Mm. They want to know, know, they want to know more about you. And you make people want to do better. You make, you inspire people um, to reach for the stars, to mm. understand that, um, you know, in spite of, I can make it because mm. she did. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think in a nutshell, mm-hmm. that is my definition of womanhood. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. Thank you. I love that answer. I love, I love every answer that I always get with this question because we're all so unique and different, and so we bring unique and different answers to the question. Um, so is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you want to shout out? Um, I, I think that... Um, I don't want to shout out anything in particular, but I just want to make one last comment Mm -hmm. about the power of kindness, Mm -hmm. you know, being kind to other people. I think that um, that word is such a small world. I mean, such a small word, Mm -hmm. yet it is so powerful. Mm -hmm. It can bring about so much changes in our society. Um, Just be kind, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a whole lot. You don't Mm -hmm. don't need a, you don't need money to be kind. Mm -hmm. You you don't need anything to be kind. You just need to exist. Mm -hmm. That's it. (laughs) Be kind. Mm -hmm. Smile more. um, Because everyone that you meet is going through something that you have no idea Mm -hmm. about. And your kindness can literally shape how they deal with whatever demon that they're dealing with Mm -hmm. um, internally. So, um, and, and besides, you know, you know, all of that, just be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important because I think that's what the world needs more of. Mm-hmm. We need kindness and we need mm-hmm. more love. Mm-hmm. Um, in this society that we live in, which has become so polarized, mm-hmm. um, and in a sense it's very disgusting mm-hmm. um, that people get so quickly offended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kindness and love is what we need more of in this society. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. for coming on. Thank, thank you. you so much. I love I love doing this. I love everybody that I get <laughs> to talk to. Um, so thank you so much, Joanna. Um, everybody, please go ahead and connect with us on all the social media. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at PrettyFaceLady3. And please go ahead and like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to say hi, you want to come on the show, know somebody else that can come on the show, you want to sponsor the show because looking to sell out, um, please email at prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.